0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today I'm here speaking with Heather, who is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of Boss in Heels. Heather, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We've, we definitely have a overlapping network. So I've seen your name come up several times. So it's super exciting to, to have you on the show. I'm very familiar with your work. So I'm excited for the audience to, to be more familiar as well. And we'll get into all of that. But as I start all, all shows or all episodes on this show, first question just really is, who are you, Heather? You know, how do you define yourself as the lovely human you are?
1: Um, Who am I? I'm a mother. I'm a creative. I'm someone still recovering from corporate America. I'm an author. I'm a keynote speaker. I'm a podcast host. um, And I'm still trying to be an athlete in my late 40s.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. And what, I mean, what lights you up every day? What keeps you pushing forward? And and curious and trying new things because that's that's what i've noticed just following your journey from afar is that i mean you're always you're always pushing in 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 the sense of being creative and trying new things and really putting yourself out there
1: yeah you know for me i had a long career in corporate america and i was very stagnant in in that i wasn't pushing myself into creativity i wasn't pushing myself into new opportunities essentially, I had made it to the top of an industry. And I was just staying there. And so when I look back, I I just what I've learned, and it took me getting fired to learn this, you know, I had to be pushed into this space of being a beginner and starting over. But now that I, you know, for the first thing I did when I got fired was I wrote and self published my first book. And so that was my first entry into I'm a beginner, I'm a rookie author, I have to figure out how do you sell books, right? And then I Started as a rookie speaker, and then I started as a rookie podcast host, and then I started as a rookie author with HarperCollins leadership. All these things. Every time, I just keep starting over as someone who's new and a beginner. And what I'm learning, you know, over the last three and a half years, is that that's how you really start to grow to see your potential. I, you know, I have no idea what's ahead of me because I do know I just keep stepping into the unknown. So, yeah. you know, it's um it, that's what li- life is supposed to be about growth, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and I think if you can get to the place where you, you accept that unknown, right, and being open to whatever's to come, I mean, it just makes it uh, a much more pleasurable experience, obviously. Um, why don't we give the listeners a bit of context on, you mentioned a few times, I mean, you spent a good amount of your career in, the, in corporate America, um, were fired, and then, then I, I pretty much know this version of, of Heather, so I would love to know that backstory as well
1: about getting fired or about corporate america
0: just yeah some of the work that you were doing and what led up to the to that to that experience and then i think the other thing too is you know then you decided to to self publish and write a book i mean that is not a small feat to just undertake so i'd love to see where all that came from
1: so i It's so funny, you know, for 20 something years, I was in corporate America and I had a big name in the media industry, which now I realize that's a tiny little industry. But when you live in a bubble, and this is important for everyone listening, you think that is everything, right? I thought that world and that space was everything and it was huge. It's not. And whatever bubble everyone's in right now, I just challenge you to pick your head up outside of that bubble and start networking and and creating contacts outside of that one little world. Because what you'll learn is game changing. And it took me getting fired to have that happen. I had been in sales and sales leadership my entire career. I was a chief revenue officer of a media company. And that's really all I knew. I didn't, you know, I saw myself as a sales leader, a sales expert. And I was really proud of the work that I had done over, you know, 20 plus years. And I had achieved great success financially, but I just didn't have a lot of success from a give back kind of standpoint. I was always going and joining charities and always doing extra work on the weekends because I wasn't fulfilled at the job that I was doing during the day. Okay. And what getting fired gave me the opportunity to do was kind of merge the two together, do purpose-driven work that helps other people where you still uh, profit and, and drive revenue.
0: Gotcha. And so when that happened, when you were fired, I mean, I imagine that was a bit of a shakeup, obviously, in your world. Like, how did you... How did you process some of that emotion? How did you get to the point where you had enough, I guess, mental clarity and, and drive to go to the next uh, phase of your life?
1: Oh gosh, the mental clarity part, st- I'm still working through that, right? There's still anger sometimes that I get when I see something that, you know, some of these people that used to pretend to be my cheerleaders and in my camp that now completely drop me, because now that I'm not in the media industry, some of the people that used to show up for me only showed up because I was there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's hard sometimes. There's, there are lingering effects to any traumatic situation. And don't get me wrong, getting fired is traumatic. I'm a single mother. I have huge bills to pay. I had been with that company for 14 years, right? I had just been named one of the most influential women in radio two weeks before I was fired, right? So there's, it, was a, it was a very dark, hard time for me. And I still do have to process that occasionally. I was just thinking about the CEO that actually I worked for for 14 years, who I loved. Uh, he is not the one that fired me. He just passed away a couple of weeks mm. ago, and, and it was really hard on me emotionally because I still am connected to him through, you know, my heart and through caring about. And and I I really struggled with do I reach out to his son to call him, you know, because I had not spoken to his son since the day I got fired. And I I decided to do it, and that was really it was a hard phone call to make because sure. it, it hurt so much that they you know tossed me away the way that they did. However, you know, in the end, I felt it was, that's, you know, I I really believe in doing the right thing. And I just felt it was the right thing was to reach out and tell him how sorry I was for him and his family. But, um, yeah, I'm, I still process those emotions.
0: Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any practices that you're, that are, let's say non-negotiables in your life to, to help with that? Like what, what does your routine look like when it comes to, you know, whenever, like unwanted looping internal narratives that we all have to deal with show up like what what's been helpful for you
1: well in my new book overcome your villains i reveal a really powerful three-step process that i utilize my entire life and i strongly suggest others utilize which is really it's around this back foundation that i created which is beliefs action and knowledge and so fundamentally, I, I used it when my son broke his arm last week. My son was a million miles away from me. And I immediately, once I got the call, he's in the emergency room. I went down, downward spiral, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, what is going to happen? He's alone. He's got to be scared. He's got to be freaking out. This is, ho- I went to horrible. I, the anxiety was overwhelming. And I had to pump the brakes and say, go to back. Number one, with this belief that I'm holding right now, am I certain it's factual? No. I don't, I can't decide if he's miserable. I, I don't know if he's alone. I just didn't know. So, he, so I had to stop telling myself that lie and say, okay, the belief I'm holding right now is not true. Here's what I do know from a factual standpoint. He has a broken arm. He's in an emergency room, but I don't know anything else. right? So once you get yourself to pump the brakes on whatever delusional story you're telling yourself and reconnect with what facts we have and leave it at least for that moment in that present moment there. Then we can start taking action. And I thought about, okay, what action steps can I take right now that will help me alleviate some of this negativity and, and situation? And immediately I knew if I started contacting the school, I could get a hold of someone that could get me on a phone with him, right? So t- taking action will always be the, the best route. For me, it, it works every time. And then finally, what knowledge can I surround myself with that can help me in this situation? And I knew I had a friend who had had a child that had broken an arm called her immediately and said, walk me through, how does this work? What happens? And so the more information that I had around it, I could start processing, okay, he's not picking up the phone right now. It's probably because he's in x-ray. They have to see if they can set the arm. So I knew now what was actually happening, even though I couldn't be there, that gave me a sense of um, calm. Yeah.
0: I can only, I mean, I have a five-year-old and I think I shared this when, when you emailed me and he's, he's just one of those guys that has zero fear on any type of bike or scooter. So I'm just waiting for the day for some sort of broken bone like that. So uh, I'll, I'll definitely take your advice. Cause I mean, I think we, we just default. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, more traumatic events like that with our kids or everyday life type scenarios. Like we are all like New York times, bestselling authors when it comes to the internal narratives that we can Shape in our heads, right? That feels so real, but are typically ninety nine percent fictitious. It's wild. So I, I love that question, Am I, I wrote that down. Am I certain it's factual? And I think uh, that relates really well with uh, a lot of stuff that I, I hear from from Ryan Holiday often on stoicism and just like what you know, what can I control right now? And you can control your reaction, right? And, and the knowledge that you're trying to seek, and who you can call, and take action. It's yeah, that was a really great prompt. It's amazing. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about the book and specifically as well, just some of the differences from creating when, when you wrote creating a uh, confidence creator to writing, overcome your villains. I mean, just the process and the headspace you're in, in creating those two books, like what were some of the things that you learned throughout the, this new process or, or the second book, I should say.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, what a start. Comparison. It's so crazy. Even just looking at my first book. My first book is a black cover. My new book is an all-white cover. And it's I'm taking a step back from it to say there's a lot of meaning there. However, I didn't realize it at the time. I was in a super dark place when I wrote my first book, right? I had just been fired. I had no idea how I was gonna make money. I had never written a book before. I was a rookie author. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was coming from a world where I was an expert, right? Mm So it's really, it's challenging to go from expert status to rookie status overnight and feel like everything kind of just disappeared. However, you know, um, I'm super proud of that first book. It was a yeah. compilation of my lowest moments and how I embrace them to create confidence within myself and how the reader can too. And so I'm really proud of that book. However, this new book, this time, my first time I self-published the second time I'm publishing with Harper leadership it's an incredibly different uh, experience, and I'm in a very different place in my life now. It's three and a half well, it's two years or two and a half years later since my first book, um, but three and a half years later that I was fired now, and so that really has put me in a different mindset. I'm definitely a different person. I mean, I've done so much over the last three and a half years. It just it's mind blowing to me what you know I've experienced and what's happened and. It just, I'm so, um, it, I, I've learned a lot and I refined my message a lot. And, you know, through trial and error over, you know, the past, from my podcast, my speaking engagements, uh, you know, I've really refined things and, and I'm so proud of this new book, which really, um, is, I, I just can't wait for it to come out. And so I actually, I, I'm so excited about it. I put together a huge pre-order initiative, for my book. And as always, I want to give people more value than I'm asking them for. So when people pre-order my $27 book, they get my $299 confidence course immediately delivered to them for free. My Overcome Your Villains workbook, a first chapter of the book to pre-read before anybody else gets it, a 30-day accountability program. I'm giving so much value around this book because I just, I'm so excited for people to read it.
0: It's amazing. What, what sparked the, well, I, I should ask first, I mean, why did you choose the the route of writing a book in the first place? I mean, having just gone through that process, that is not the easiest path to take.
1: Well, I didn't know it, right? You don't yeah. know it, you don't know. If you haven't done something, I'm big into tuning out what other people say, right? Like everyone's gonna tell yeah. you, don't write a book, it's too hard. Well, that maybe it's hard for you, um, but that's not about me, right? So I got fired and I posted, I've just been fired. If I've ever helped you, I need to hear from you today. That post went viral and it landed me on the Elvis Duran show. And halfway through the interview, Elvis looked at me and he said, well, obviously you're writing a book, Heather. And I said, well, obviously, but I wasn't. And I had never been the author or literary or smart one even. I was always labeled the social one and the sales one. And so it was a big moment for me to say, Am I even qualified to write a book, right? Like I had to dig into Google and understand, like, can anyone just write a book? Well, turns out anyone can. And then I Googled, how do you write a book? And all it said was you have to sit down and write and be disciplined. It's that easy. It's that simple. I don't wanna say it's easy, but it is that simple. And so don't overthink it, you know, take messy action. And I just sat down and started writing. I was fired. I didn't have anything else to do, right? So I just thought to myself, get a speed to markets critical in any business. And I knew I needed a product to sell. And once I had a product, I knew I trusted myself, I can sell it. So I just said, write as fast as you can. And I, for five months, I wrote and wrote and wrote and then went the self publishing route, you know, hired a great editor who was way ahead of me. He had 19 books. He was an expert and Mm -hmm. he helped advance me quickly. And, um, yeah, the whole process was just kind of through trial and error.
0: Awesome. Okay. So then how did the, um, was the second book concept uh, always in your mind, floating in, in, the, in the background? Or is that, how did that come about? And then please provide a little bit of detail around what, what readers can expect in this new book.
1: Yeah, I'm big into giving people what they ask me for, right? So I, I truly try to, people will tell you what's valuable about you if you start listening to them. So sure. I started listening to the messages that I get um, on my website and on social media. People are always asking me, how did you go from the day of getting fired from ground zero to where you are now? How did you get a TEDx talk? How did the TEDx talk get promoted to TED? How did you land a book deal? How did you, you know, how did you get a podcast? Like, all of these different questions. And so I thought I can put these into the book through, you know, the, the personal stories of how I went from that literally and the behind the scene on what got fired, what happened when I got fired. Because everybody wants to know that one. That people are always asking me that question, what that was like. So I break that all down and I tell that story. but I break the book, as I mentioned earlier, into this it's this three part process. and so it, there's one section in the book all around beliefs and you know how factual are these beliefs and and really challenging and testing ourselves. Are these coming from within us? Are these coming from without? You know, outside of us. Mm. Are, we, are we allowing other self-limiting beliefs into our life? So there's a lot around um, identifying what is actually true for us, and the action part of the book, which is the it's to me that's my favorite part. It's all about taking massive action, how to push yourself into fear, how to start evolving and growing and going for more and just go bigger. And then the the final part of the book is all around knowledge, like where is wh- we are not very conscious during the day of where we're accessing knowledge. We might just start believing what someone is telling us. I'm asking everyone to pump the brakes and say, when you start looking at any situation in your life through this process, beliefs, actions, and knowledge, you're going to start gaining some insight, not only about yourself, but what about your what you're allowing into your life. And the more you can start being mindful and curating that, the better life you can lead
0: yeah I really like the idea of just pumping the brakes. you've mentioned that a few times now, and it's for for me it it, it linked or resonates with just pausing, which most of us don't do or it's really hard to do in the society that we, we live in right It's everything's on autopilot there's so much going on it's you know go 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 productivity productivity but there's there's just so much power in that pause right like that's where the thought happens, and that's where decisions like the right decisions, or some sort of decision is made, and then you can you 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 can actually put the plan together and go right. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about just how you handle knowledge because we definitely live in a in a world where there's no shortage of knowledge, but I think there's a big difference on taking that knowledge and then actually applying it in some sort of action. So how you know, like what what works for you, or how have you been? I guess first curating your knowledge, so it's quality knowledge, and then, and then second, you know, actually applying it to uh, your world and your life and your work. So
1: for me, I go back to that three-step process. I, anything that I'm trying to do, and here's the thing, Mark, I was doing this subconsciously throughout my life, and I'm so proud and I'm grateful. Actually, somebody pointed it out to me and said, there's a process here that you go through. Have you ever clarified it? And I said, no, it's just who I am. Yeah. So when I started writing it down, and formulating back B-A-K, beliefs, action, knowledge, I realize it's a repeatable process that I continually use in my life. So when you say, how do you take the knowledge and turn it into action? Well, that's obvious to me. Action is the second step. Like action already happened, yeah. right? It keeps cycling and cycling. There's never going to be in my life, and, and I hope my readers apply this, is that, action's part of the process daily. These things don't just happen on their own. And it's so crazy. I was just at an event and someone was saying to me, oh, I wrote a book and I've just kind of been sitting on it, waiting to see what to do. And I said, oh my, what are you waiting? Like, what are you waiting for? You think someone's going to show up in your life and hand you the keys to selling your book? Take messy action. That's part of your process, right? And so um, it just, it to me, it's I have so repeated this process so many times in my life. It's the cycle that I'm in and the cycle I'm encouraging for other people. But to, you know, really getting thoughtful about the knowledge that we access, that's been really powerful for me. So, for example, when I wanted to land a book deal um, with HarperCollins, I, I didn't know it would be with HarperCollins, but when I wanted to get a deal, I thought to myself, okay, I always think go to the highest level possible and let's get some knowledge around whoever that person is. And in 2019, when I started down this road, it's a long process, by the way, getting a traditional deal and and coming and bringing a product to life with them. I Googled who's a top nonfiction female writer in 2019. And it was Michelle Obama and Rachel Hollis. Mm. And I thought- Michelle Obama being the president's wife, right? I'm not, in, I, I can't, I don't think I'm in that, you know, let's look at Rachel Hollis instead as that could be my potential target. It's a little bit more relatable for me. And again, this is like someone who sold millions of copies of yeah. books, right? And I'm not saying I, <laughs> I, I, I just assume my book will be there, but I thought if I'm gonna do this, I'm going to, you know, I wanna go to the highest um, potential that I have. So I Googled who her agent was, right? And so I needed that knowledge of who is she working with? Because there's something there, a formula that they have that I want that I need to access. I need that knowledge. And so I found her agent and I sent her agent. Then I went back to my action, take action now. And I I, I checked my beliefs first, right? I, I Can I sell millions of books? Why can't I? Who says you can't, Heather? Yeah. Well, I'm not Rachel Hollis, but I'm Heather Monahan there's something unique, special, and different here. I can add value too. And now I take action and I message the um, agent. And she said, "You know, I'm not really interested in the business side. I like the religion side more. However, Heather, I have a partner who loves the business side. I think you should work with my partner. So she connected me to my now agent, Jill, and we got on a call. And right away, she said to me, Heather, I love this concept. I love the idea. Send me a book proposal. Well, Mark, I didn't know what a book proposal was. I'm a rookie, right? So I'm starting over from ground zero. I, I don't, so I said, oh, Jill, I don't know what that is. And she started laughing and she said, well, that's where our conversation ends. And I said, let me ask you one more question before you hang up. If you had a family member that wanted to write a book proposal, who would you send them to for help? And she said, Peter Economy. And I said, thank you, Jill, you'll hear from me soon. And so I stopped Peter Economy. I got him to call me back. I told him I needed to hire him. I hired Peter Economy and together we wrote a book proposal that Jill, after 14 no's, finally gave us a yes and um, went out and pitched us. So the whole thing, I knew I, I needed to work with the best in the business. I knew I had to access that knowledge. They have 25 years experience, I had zero, right? Yeah. So I had to bridge that gap and they had that, they have the plan of what worked, what sold millions of copies for Rachel, right? So I knew if I could get to them, I'm going to have a much better chance of success.
0: I love it. I love it. All right. Hello, friends. I have something to admit to you all. I am no longer recording this show out of my Mini Cooper. And surprise, if you didn't know that, thanks to the awesome humans over at Loop phone booths, I'm recording two podcasts in their flex booth at home. I'm also recording my audiobook, Personal Socrates, in this booth while my five-year-old is running around downstairs screaming, being a five-year-old. The booth rocks. So if you're looking for a space to take calls, record in, or just find a little quiet in your day, check them out. They're over at loopphonebooths.com. Now back to the show. How did, you know, throughout those 14 notes? I mean, what was keeping you... Like what was keeping your mind charged to try? I'm assuming you're just trying different angles or redoing or updating the proposal. Like how what, what did that look like? Because I feel like a lot of people don't see that behind the scenes, right?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. The one thing I am an expert in is sales. So that part's easy for me. Sales is always a numbers game. I have 46 years experience selling myself, right? So yeah. I know it's never about the no, but it is about getting to one yes. So to me, that is a difference maker for me. That's a differentiator. That's where I feel confident, strong, and, and really experienced, right? I know my knowledge is locked on that, okay, if I've got a couple of no's from this woman, I still know she's the right target for me because I know she's got that roadmap and plan that I want the road to millions of book sales, right? So I still, I'm, I need to get to her. Something that I'm doing isn't conveying that properly. How can I show up differently? How can I put myself in her shoes? How can I think like her so that I can deliver her more value? And listen, at I'll never forget, At it was the 14th time. And this is over a year in the making, right? This whole process of rewriting and rewriting the book. And I spent a fortune on the book proposal on Peter Economy. Peter yeah. Economy is not cheap, okay? So let me tell you, this was a big risk for me. And I just really had this strong gut instinct that I wanted this person to, I wanted to do the book with this person. But on the 14th time, I'll never forget. And Peter and I became very close during this year. I said, Peter, this thing is so freaking good that if we send this one over, and this is, I had gotten 14 no's from her. And this is why I was about to send her version 15. I said, if we get a no this time, I'm going to a different agent. And he said, you got to be kidding me. Why? After we've worked so hard, why would you say that? And I said, because if she doesn't say yes on this one, this one's that freaking good. Like We can't get better from here. Then she's just she doesn't get me. And he said okay, and I sent it, and she said yes. So listen, I too get frustrated, right? Like when you yeah. when you think something is so on the mark, and and you're and and I worked so hard to see everything through her eyes and take all of her constructive crit- criticism as help, right, to get better. Of course, everyone has their own limits, but I'm glad I didn't give up.
0: I love it. it. I, I I resonate with that in my own kind of book process. I had uh, a one call with uh, my publisher and Ryan Holiday and one of his partners, and we re- were talking about the book concept. And at that point, I had written about twenty five thousand words, uh, so it was kind of a sample, frankly. At at, at that point, it was more than a, a proposal, and within 30 minutes, I mean, the whole structure of the book essentially changed. I mean, a lot of the principles were all still there, but the way it was structured and set up, I essentially had to rewrite the whole thing. And, and I, and I have, and it's, it's done and I'm, I'm thankful, but, but I'll never forget that call that, you know, 30 minutes just railroaded, you know, 25,000 words of, of a lot of, of, of work and effort and something I felt like, this is, this is good. Like I can see it, but now in, in retrospect, see like what's, what's about the release is just a million times better. Um, but you just have to keep going, right? Keep working, keep working.
1: Yeah, so Um, many people give up before they get there and you just never know how close you could be.
0: so true. I mean, a perfect example on the 14th, no. I mean, that's a beautiful story. Uh, I want to respect your time. I'm going to start wrapping up, but I definitely want to know because the listeners of this show are, you know, really attuned to trying different things in their routines when it comes to mental fitness and, you know, keeping their, their minds on the, on their A game and whatnot. And I I really believe that there's no prescription to this, that everyone's different. So always trying to find what the the guests are doing that works for them, how things have evolved so that maybe that could be the one thing that someone on the other side of this mic tries. So I just love to know on a, on a daily basis, like what are some of the non-negotiables for your your wellness and your health? Like what, what really sticks for you?
1: Well, it's funny that you brought that up around routine. And this is, I know this is very contr- contrary to what other people think. However, I'm really liking it right now. Um, routine is the enemy. Right. So I, I am such a routine person. It's ridiculous. And you know what happened during the pandemic? I was in such a rut, not being able to be outside and not being able to, I love working out and I love being outdoors. And my son and I live in an apartment, a small apartment. I just, I felt so confined and trapped. And I just thought, you know what, I've got to mix something up here. And so when things started opening back up again, I was talking to my chiropractor, actually, I said, I've just been sitting so much. I'm just in a rut. I, I do the spin bike. I'm just doing the same things over and over again. And I'm not, it's, I'm not happy with it. I don't like it. And he said, you know what, I want you to go boxing. And I said, what? boxing are you kidding me and he said yeah he said i just started taking boxing it's so new i'm so bad at it and it's really it's mentally challenging physically challenging routine is the enemy heather and they have a huge sign in this humongous boxing um gym that says routine is the enemy right on the wall don't ever have two days alike and that's their whole concept and it's so contrary to who i am and how i've been and it's very uncomfortable. And every time I walk in there, I'm like, oh, I get so nervous. I'm the worst. I don't know the routines. I don't even know the words half the time. What they mean, you know. <sighs> no one looks like me. It, I'm like I'm the odd guy out, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. So I, I get really excited to go back because I know that I'm growing. I know that I'm learning. And I and thinking of how the way they think routine is the enemy is challenging me to apply that to other areas of my life as well, which is really, I think it's powerful because a lot of us can get in ruts. We can get in these routines and then we kind of just, our our growth stalls. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, we start, we, again, we jump on that autopilot and it's hard to recognize that you're just doing the same thing over and over again. It's a great example. Uh, Are you doing, is there anything else that you're doing for reflection or, you know, bringing any kind of stillness to your mind and, and thought and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. You know, I years ago, I saw a hypnotist to help me uh, let go of anxiety and and past trauma and whatnot. And I had an amazing experience with um, working with a hypnotist. I really loved it. I totally advocate for it. I mean, life changing difference for me. Um, in my mental state, and one of the things that that hypnotist left me with was he left me with a few tracks that I could use at any point in time. So one is believe in yourself. One is for speaking when you're going into a large speaking engagement. One is to you know let go of anxiety or whatever. So there's these different tracks I have, and so I've been really disciplined. My son went away to camp a few weeks ago. Every day now that it's quiet in my house, and it's a little yeah. different than when my son's home but I, I have myself doing the track Believe in Myself one yeah. time a day for almost a full month now. And I'll tell you, it's something that you might not notice at the first day. You might not notice it the second day, but suddenly you're just feeling so much more optimistic. Listen, there's a fine line between fear and excitement, right? And And launching a new book is scary and it's a lot of work. And and not knowing if live events are coming back full force and if that revenue stream is going to be back where it is and getting nervous about forecasting, right? There's all of these unknowns and variables right now in all of our lives. At least I feel that way for sure. And so yeah. some days I feel scared, right? I don't, I'm afraid to get optimistic for the future because what if the Delta variant takes us all back and everything goes negative again, right? So that's when I say, okay, let's keep doing this track. Let's stay focused. I can't, affect what happens out in the world, but I can affect the way that I think and how I show up to it. So the more I find certainty and belief in myself, the more calm and optimistic I can feel about the future, regardless of what happens. So that's really been the work that I've been doing lately.
0: Mm-hmm. And are you, is this something you do in the morning or is this a, is there any kind of method to it or do you just pop it on when first you first like thing in you need the
1: morning no, no i have to do it first thing in the morning because then you you know your day gets away from Life you happens. and sudden yeah even yeah. if i would try for one day not to do it first thing in the morning i know it wouldn't get done so i i just i've been holding myself accountable that
0: yeah so powerful that's uh so basically essentially I, i'm assuming a mix of affirmations and visualizations and like priming your mind right these tracks
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely priming your mind, but it's, I don't know, it's more than that. Cause it's, once you get into this subconscious level, somehow it's much for me anyways. And again, this is what works for me and anyone can go to a hypnotist and see if it works for them or not. But to me, there's just no downside to it. And it does have a positive impact.
0: Oh yeah. There's so many things, you know, it's been about four years that I've been Really into this this wellness space, especially mental fitness. And I mean, I came into it with a ton of uh, judgment on things like energy and moon energy and all this stuff. And and as soon as I released that, just through interviewing so many different people through the podcast, and I'm thinking of this this uh, e- you know like astrology and and all the energy from uh, the moon and whatnot as an example because. It's the same thing. I'm like if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna journal or if I'm gonna set some intentions for the month, what's the downsides to, to line that up with whatever's supposedly happening with the moon and the energy? There's there are no downsides to doing that, whether you believe in it or not. And I'm not sure where like I think you know, if we can shift the tide with, with the moon, there's something going on and we're, you know, we're formed by majority of, of water. So that's the extent of my, my astrology. But again, like I think for everyone listening is, is just to be open and and try it out. And it's a really good prompt. Like what's, what's the worst that can happen? What's the downside in this? Right. So
1: that's my grief to gross ratio. You know, that's kind of the lens that I look at things through is, is there a downside to there risk or is, could this be potentially harmful? No, right. Like there's nothing bad that's going to come out of something about, you know, optimism or affirmations. Um, give it a shot and just see what happens.
0: Love it. Grief to growth ratios. Love it. Cool. Heather. Well, I mean, we could probably talk for hours about all this stuff. I can see we've got some overlapping passion and, 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 uh, uh, interests in this space and just mindset and mental fitness and whatnot. I'd love to know, I'll put all the stuff in the show notes, but where, where can people follow along in your journey and continue to learn from you as your journey unfolds?
1: I'm at Heather Monahan on all social media and my website right now, check it out. The pre-order bonus bundle is up now. It's for a limited time because I am going to pull it once the book goes live. So please get it now, Overcomeyourvillains.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Last question for you, what makes you smile each day?
1: Oh, my son. Uh, hands down, no doubt that flipping boy is the love of my life. Oh my gosh.
0: Well, on that note, that's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Mark.